Today, I want to talk about games. In your mind right now, I want you to think about different games that you have played over the course of your life. In elementary school, when I was in elementary school, some of my favorite games we played, Duck, Duck, Goose, Red Light, Green Light. My very favorite game was called Parachute. Does anybody know the game Parachute? You just throw the parachute up and you run under. That was my favorite. I also liked 7-Up. It was a time that you just put your head on the desk. I actually liked that. If you are in elementary school right now, what are some of your favorite games to play? Anybody? If you've ever been in elementary school, what are some of your favorite games to play? Foursquare. Four oh, that's a good one. Kickball, freeze tag. <laughs> Good, okay. Middle school, high school, things change a little bit. You don't get as much recess to play those fun games like kickball and tackle the person with a football and dodgeball and knockout. In middle school and high school, it's a little bit more competitive. But tell me, if you're in middle school or high school, or if you've ever been in middle school or high school, what are the games you like to play now? There it is. That, a mom said that. I know a mom said that. Basketball. Basketball. Thank you. Chess. Volleyball. Golf. What is it? Tackle football. Yeah. I'm just glad it's not all video games. This is a good thing. I know one high school teacher... And as soon as you finish her class with parent knowledge, she gives all the kids her Fortnite name, and she will play Fortnite with any previous student for two weeks and only two weeks of the summer. <laughs> it's kind of fun. In college, if you've ever been to college, if you've ever gone to a college for a night or two, or if you are currently in college, there are probably other games that you have played. I am not going to ask them. <laughs> Don't want to know. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll just tell you about my college game experience. You see, I was one of the cool kids at college. Can't you tell? I was the cool kid on campus. My little friend group, we walked around knowing that we were the coolest on campus. Everybody wanted to be us because we were the college choir. That's right. We spent our college days dressing up in tuxedos and long ball gowns, traveling statewide from United Methodist Church to church singing. We were the cool kids. And we played games. We played the game called cards. <laughs> we took it very seriously. We played all kinds of cards, but for the most part, we played spades. You ever played spades? Played a little bit of poker. We even played a game. You, I don't think you'll ever know this game, but it's called Canasta. Has anybody played the old, old card game Canasta? Because it's awesome and I love it. I remember being on our tour buses, 
taking our spades tournament so seriously that we literally were on the floor of the bus back to back all the way down. You know the black tread on those buses? We would sit and play cards for hours. It's gross and weird and we loved it. One of the things that I learned playing cards in college is that everyone plays by different rules. Have you noticed? Think about the card game Uno. When you start to play Uno, you need to know which set of rules are you going to play by. Are we playing by the rules where if I don't have that color or that number, I have to keep drawing until I have it so I have half the deck in my hand? Or are we playing where I just draw two and keep moving? You need to know which set of rules you're playing by. And typically what I have learned, the set of rules that you play by have something to do with where you grew up, who you grew up with, and who you're used to playing with. And so it's very smart at the beginning of any card game to determine which set of rules you're playing by and exactly what is at stake. And let's be honest, our faith is exactly the same. We all are walking around thinking that we're all playing by the same set of rules. And halfway through our card game, somebody's inevitably going to go, are we really playing this right? Let's go look up the rules. It happens all the time. So let's pretend like here we are in our faith life. We have our set of rules before us. And typically the rules we follow are based upon where we grew up, who we lived with, and who we hung out with. What would we call our rules? Anybody? Does anybody know the rules that I'm talking about? Not a trick question. Close. They're in Scripture. They're called the Ten Commandments. Jews call them the Decalogue, the Ten Words. And so here we have these rules called the Ten Commandments. And if halfway through we decide that we want to look them up, exactly where would we look them up? Where would we read the Ten Commandments? Good job. The Bible. Absolutely. What part of the Bible? Anybody? Exodus 20 is a great answer. I would have also accepted the Old Testament. I would have also accepted the Pentateuch. All these are right answers in your exam book today. I would also have asked which version of the rules, because only one version happens in Exodus 20. There are other versions of the same exact rules, one in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus. And they're all similar, but all different. For instance, in the rule book in Leviticus, it actually gives us a rule about when to cut our beard and the exact edges to have on our beard. It's very interesting. But today, for our purposes, we're going to read the version of our rules as found in Exodus 20. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. If you have your Bible app, you can look it up, or you can just follow along with me on your screens. Exodus 20, 
Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that's on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will, keep, will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife male or female, slave, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. For God has only come to test you and to put fear upon you so that you do not sin. There are three educational points I want to make with these Ten Commandments. The first educational point is God says, I am God. God declares God as God's self. It is ultimately, I am God, I am your Lord, I am the one who brought you here. And so it's the ultimate, because I have said so. Because I have brought you here, I have watched you live together, and I see you playing alongside together and arguing, and so now I'm going to have to put rules and boundaries and parameters around you because I have said so, this is how you should live. And no, I will not love you because you're following my commandment. I have loved you already. And so this is this typical works versus grace argument. United Methodists, we believe that grace always comes first. But before, because we know of God's grace and love, then we will do the work. Second educational point. I am the only God before you now. So there's no more Tiamat. There's no more Marduk. A little later, the references will be Zeus, Poseidon. If you do not know the names that I just said, then I want you to register for our next class called Ancient Mesopotamian Gods, Egyptian Gods, Greek and Roman Gods, and their influence on Scripture. We will teach that another time. Third educational point. The format of these rules. Typically when we read Bible, when we read scripture, we don't really pay attention to the format. We just read because we just know it, right? We're like, yeah, we know it's coming. Let's just read it. At the time, the culture needed to pay attention to the format because it would have jolted them. It was something they weren't used to. Typically, 
they were used to rules that had a cause and effect. So if X, if you did X, then Y is going to happen. If you steal an ox, we're going to cut off your beard. I made that up. That's not a real rule. But it's called casuistic law. What makes the rules different in Scripture is what they're called apodictic laws, which just means statements. These are simple statements on how to live. It doesn't tell you what to do and then. It just tells you, quit fighting. Quit killing each other. Be nice. So in a way, we have these rules. We have these commandments that say, I am your God, the only God, so please play nicely. In 2005, I don't know if you remember this, in 2005, there was a really big court case, and it involved the Ten Commandments and this exact version of them. The Supreme Court had to make a judgment because in the state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, they had framed copies of the Ten Commandments in a courtroom. And in Texas, they had these huge monuments out front of the courthouse in public property. And so the complaint was they all needed to come down. The Supreme Court took a vote, and they were divided by one vote only. And the determination was that Kentucky had to take out the Ten Commandments of the courtroom because it looked like they were promoting religion. But the monument in Texas was allowed to stay with the caveat that anybody else could pay to have a monument put next to it. Three years later, state of Utah had an issue. Their huge privately funded monument of the Ten Commandments in a public Park. Supreme Court had to make another decision, and they were completely divided. And so what turned out to happen, they allowed Utah's commandments to stay with the caveat that anybody else could pay for any other monument, which they did, and put exactly right next to the Ten Commandments. What's interesting about these cases is I think that we are exactly like them. We're split down the middle. We're probably maybe difference by one vote or two of what we think should happen. There's some of us who feel like the Ten Commandments should be posted all over the place. In every school, in every courtroom, in every yard, everywhere. And then there are others of us who think, no, absolutely not. It's separation of church and state, they should be nowhere. But what I find interesting about these cases, in all three, when the defendants of the Ten Commandments were asked to list them, no one could. In the three different court cases where people are defending the public display of the wonderful Ten Commandments, not one person could name all ten. Now, I'm a card shark. I just am. 
You cannot beat me in cards. I am that good. I love cards. Right now, the card game I'm enjoying playing is Euchre. If you're from Indiana, the Midwest, you probably have played this game. I'm a Euchre fan right now. I like to play. I have played all kinds of card games. I remember all the rules of all kinds to all the card games I've ever played except for one. There's one card game that I've yet to master. And I remember trying so hard growing up. My grandmother had a bridge group. And when I was at my grandmother's house, my job was to set up all the card tables, move the furniture, put the card tables up. All I wanted to do was sit at one of those tables and play bridge with one of those ladies. And I would beg my grandmother, just put me in. I'll be good. Put me in. And she's like, absolutely not. They'll eat you alive. One day, my grandmother put me down at the table and she said, I'm going to teach you the rules all the rules of bridge so you can play. I got so confused. I don't know all the rules exactly to this day of bridge. It's hard to remember all of the rules of our faith. It's hard to remember which version of the rules we want to live by. And so I'm going to give to you what my grandmother gave to me about bridge, a quick little summary Here is your summary of the Ten Commandments so that if ever you are asked, you at least have this. Have a good relationship with God. I am the one true God. Have a good relationship with yourself. Keep the Sabbath and rest. Have a good relationship with your family. Respect your mother and father. And have a good relationship with others. Stop killing. Stop being mad at each other. Those are your Ten Commandments in a summary. Have a good relationship with God. Have a good relationship with yourself. Have a good relationship with your family. And have a good relationship with others. And if you do that, then there is no vote ever needed. Because we become the living witness. We become the living monument. We become the living interpretation of our faith. And along with us, walks into every school, every courtroom, every workplace, every public property, every park, every neighborhood is our faith walking in with us because we are the living embodiment of God's love. And when we can embrace that and live in that, then let's not forget that there are other rules that are not ours to judge. And if we live in that ultimate life of God and self and family and others, then we will stop judging the rules that other people are playing by. And we will only engage them with God's love. Because ultimately, God always has a wild card. There's a great poem. I want to read it to you. It's actually by a poet named Anne Sexton. And the poem comes from The Awful Rowing Toward God. It's a great title of a book. And the very last poem that she writes It's all about how she's come to the end of her life and God invites her to play a game of poker. 
And she's so excited when the cards are dealt because she's given a royal straight flush. And so she knows there's no way anybody can beat her. So in this poker game with God, with this royal straight flush, she knows in her mind she can finally say, ha ha, I played by all the rules. I have a perfect hand. I win. Here's what the poem says. The rowing endeth. I'm mooring my rowboat at the dock of the island called God. This dock is made into the shape of a fish, and there are many boats moored at many different docks. It's okay, I say to myself, who blisters that broke and healed and broke and healed, saving themselves over and over. And salt sticking to my face and arms like a glue-skinned poked with grains of tapioca. I empty myself from the wooden boat and onto the flesh of the island. On with it, he says. And thus we squat by the rocks, by the sea, and play. Can it be true? A game of poker, he calls me. I win because I hold a royal straight flush. God wins because he holds five aces. A wild card had been announced, but I had not heard it, being in such a state of awe of myself. And as God plunks down his five aces, I'm still grinning at my royal flush, and he starts to laugh, and laughter rolling out of his mouth and into mine, and such laughter as God doubles right over, laughing a rejoice chorus at our two triumphs. And when I laugh, the fishy dock laughs, the sea laughs, the island laughs, the absurd laughs. And so, dearest dealer, I, with my royal straight flesh, love you so for your wild card, that untamable, eternal, gut-driven, and lucky love. Amen. Pray with me. God, we are so grateful that you are always bending us toward grace. And so help us find no malice. Help us just continue to offer more and more love to those we meet. And take us now into these days, working not into literal interpretation of every rule, but help us just to keep an overall spirit of compassion and empathy in you. And help us not to judge others too quickly, but to learn from them. To look beyond the things we do not understand so that those very things can give us perspective and make our faith stronger. Teach us to be held together by our own backgrounds and our own ways. And may your presence be known across this world in every need. In surgery and test in hard times at school, difficult situations, any extended grief. And Lord, this day we celebrate. We celebrate a wedding. We're thankful that Tyler got married. We're thankful that we can celebrate our commons project. And so for those of us who are staying here for dinner, bless that food for lunch. And for those of us who are traveling outside these walls of the chapel, bless the meal as well so that we can continue to have a stronger sense of community in you, in ourselves, in our family, and in others. Amen.